Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Erotic Library. On this podcast, I'm inviting you into my personal library to experience my favorite erotica. All of the volumes that I will read from are on my shelves. Each week, I will treat you to a piece of erotica, either my own or from one of my favorite authors. Some weeks, I will be joined by these amazing authors themselves, and you will have the chance to hear them read their own work. This podcast is being supported by my Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Lori Beth Bisbee. For people who subscribe, you will have access to special interviews with authors and readings and also to special events. So grab your drink of choice, get comfortable, and enjoy a peek into my erotic world. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Erotic Library. And um, this week, I am going to read you some of Venus in Furs and the selected letters of Leopold von Sacher Massoch. Um, so this is the person whose name gave us the term masochism. Sacher Massoch and his mistress, Fanny Pister, signed a contract on 9th of December, 1869, which made him her slave for a period of six months. And in it, he put the stipulation that she wear furs as often as possible, especially when she was in a cruel mood. He took the alias of Gregor, and her um, alias was Baroness Bogdanov. Gregor was a stereotypical male servant's name, so he assumed the disguise of being a servant for the Baroness. They traveled by train to Italy, and he traveled in the third-class compartment while she had a seat in first class. They weren't known when they arrived in Venice, and so they didn't arouse any suspicion. Later, Sacher Mahatzak pressured his first wife to live out the experience of the book against her preferences. He found family life to be unexciting, so eventually he got a divorce and he married his assistant. The term masochism, as I said earlier, was coined by Austrian psychiatrist Richard Freher von Kraft Ebbing in his book Psychopathia Sexualis. And this is what he said. I feel justified in calling this sexual anomaly masochism because the author Sacher Masoch frequently made this perversion, which up to this time was quite unknown to the scientific community, the substratum of his writings. I followed thereby the scientific formation of the term Daltonism from Dalton, the discoverer of colorblindness. During recent years, facts have been advanced which prove that Sacher Masak was not only the poet of masochism, but that he himself was afflicted with the anomaly. Although these proofs were communicated to me without restriction, I refrain from giving them to the public. I refute the accusation that I have coupled the name of a rev- revered author with a perversion of the sexual instinct, which has been made against me by some admirers of the author and by some critics of my book. As a man, Sacher Massa cannot lose anything in the estimation of his cultured fellow beings simply because he was afflicted with an anomaly of his sexual feelings. As an author, he suffered severe injury so far as the influence and intrinsic merit of his work is concerned for so long, and whenever he eliminated his perversion from his literary efforts, 
He was a gifted writer, and as such would have achieved real greatness had he been actuated by normal sexually, sexual feelings. In this respect, he's a remarkable example of the powerful influence exercised by the vita sexualis, be it in the good or evil sense, over the formation and direction of a man's mind. And there it is. Um, Sacher Macher wasn't, Masach wasn't pleased about Kraft Ebbing's assertions, but he had not revealed the details of his private life. And these actually weren't revealed until his um, first wife's memoirs um, were published in 1906. Um, and they were published under a pseudonym, but um, the French initially, but the French translation was then published in 1907 with Wanda von um as the author. And so people knew who this was. Okay, let's get started after that little history lesson. I enter, shut the door, and stand at attention. Wanda has made herself comfortable. She is sitting in a negligee of white muslin and lace on a small red divan, with her feet on a footstool that matches. She has thrown her fur cloak about her. It is the identical cloak in which she appeared to me for the first time as the goddess of love. The yellow lights of the candelabra that stand on projections reflect in the large mirrors, and the red flames from the open fireplace play beautifully on the green velvet. The dark brown sable of the cloak, the smooth white skin, and the red flaming hair of the beautiful woman. Her clear but cold face is upturned toward me, and her cold green eyes rest upon me. I am satisfied with you, Gregor, she began. I bowed. Come closer. I obeyed. Still closer. She looked down and stroked the sable with her hand. Venus in furs receives her slave. I can see that you are more than an ordinary dreamer. You don't remain far in arrears of your dreams. You are the sort of man who is ready to carry his dreams into effect, no matter how mad they are. I confess, I like this. It impresses me. There is strength in this, and strength is the only thing one respects. I actually believe that under unusual circumstances, in a period of great deeds, what seems to be your weakness would reveal itself as ex an extraordinary power. Under the early emperors, you would have been a martyr, at the time of the Reformation, an Anabaptist. During the French Revolution, one of those inspired Girondists, who mounted the guillotine with the Marseillaise on their lips. But you are my slave, my... She suddenly leapt up, the furs slipped down, and she threw her arms with soft pressure around my neck. My beloved slave, Severin, oh, how I love you! How I adore you! How handsome you are in your Krakowian costume! You will be cold tonight up in your wretched room without a fire. Shall I give you one of my furs, dear heart, the large one there? She quickly picked it up, throwing it over my shoulders, and before I knew what had happened... I was completely wrapped up in it. How wonderfully becoming furs are to your face. They bring out your noble lines. 
As soon as you cease being my slave, you must wear a velvet coat with sable. Do you understand? Otherwise I shall never put on my fur jacket again. And again she began to caress and kiss me. Finally she drew me down on the divan. You seem to be pleased with yourself in furs, she said. Quick, quick, give them to me or I will lose all sense of dignity. I placed the furs about her and Wanda slipped her right arm into the sleeve. This is the pose in Titian's picture, but now enough joking. Don't always look so solemn, it makes me sad. As far as the world is concerned, you are still merely my servant. You are not yet my slave, for you have not yet signed the contract. You are still free, and can leave me at any moment. You have played your part magnificently. I have been delighted. But aren't you tired of it already, and don't you think I am abominable? Well, say something, I command it. "'Must I confess to you, Wanda?' I began. "'Yes, you must. "'Even if you take advantage of it,' I continued. "'I shall love you the more deeply, adore you the more fanatically, the worse you treat me. "'What you have just done inflames my blood and intoxicates all my senses.' "'I held her close to me and clung for several moments to her moist lips. "'Oh, you beautiful woman!' I then cried, looking at her. In my enthusiasm I tore the sable from her shoulders and pressed my mouth against her neck. "'You love me even when I'm cruel,' said Wanda. "'Now go. You bore me. Don't you hear?' She boxed my ears so that I saw stars and bells rang in my ears. "'Help me into my furs, slave.' I helped her as well as I could. "'How awkward!' she exclaimed, and was scarcely in it before she struck me in the face again. I felt myself growing pale. "'Did I hurt you?' she asked, softly touching me with her hand. "'No, no,' I answered. "'At any rate, you have no reason to complain. "'You want it thus. "'Now, kiss me again.' I threw my arms around her, and her lips clung closely to mine, as she lay against my breast in her large, heavy furs. I had a curiously oppressive sensation— it was as if a wild beast, a she-bear, were embracing me. It seemed as if I were about to feel her claws in my flesh. But this time the she-bear let me off easily. With my heart filled with smiling hopes, I went up to my miserable servant's room and threw myself down on my hard couch. Life is really amazingly droll, I thought. A short time ago the most beautiful woman, Venus herself, rested against your breast, and now you have an opportunity to study the Chinese hell. Unlike us, they don't hurl the damned into flames, but they have devils chasing them out into fields of ice. Very likely the founders of their religion also slept in unheated rooms. During the night I started out of my sleep with a scream. I had been dreaming of an ice field in which I had lost my way. I had been looking in vain for a way out. Suddenly an Eskimo drove up in a sleigh harnessed with reindeer. He had the face of por the porter who had shown me to the unheated room. "'What are you looking for here, my dear sir?' he asked. "'This is the North Pole.' A moment later he had disappeared, and Wanda flew over the smooth ice on tiny skates. Her white satin skirt fluttered and crackled, the ermine of her jacket and cap, but especially her face, gleamed whiter than the snow. She shot towards me, enclosed me in her arms, and began to kiss me. Suddenly I felt my blood running warm down my side. "'What are you doing?' I asked, horror-stricken. She laughed, 
and as I looked at her now, it was no longer Wanda, but a huge white she-bear who was digging her paws into my body. I cried out in despair, and I still heard her diabolical laughter when I awoke and looked about the room in surprise. Early in the morning, I stood at Wanda's door, and the waiter brought coffee. I took it from him and served it to my beautiful mistress. She had already dressed and looked magnificent, all fresh and roseate. She smiled graciously at me and called me back when I was about to withdraw respectfully. "'Come, Gregor, have your breakfast quickly, too,' she said. "'Then we will go house-hunting. I don't want to stay in the hotel any longer. Then I have to. It's very embarrassing here. If I chat with you for more than a minute, people will immediately say, "'The fair Russian is having an affair with her servant. You see, the race of Catherines isn't extinct yet.' Half an hour later, we went out. Wanda was in her cloth gown with the Russian cap, and I in my Krakowian costume. We created quite a stir. I walked about ten paces behind, looking very solemn, but I expected momentarily to have to break out into loud laughter. There was scarcely a street in which one or the other of the attracted houses did not bear the sign, Camir Amobiliat. Wanda always sent me upstairs, and only when the apartment seemed to answer her requirements did she herself ascend. By noon I was as tired as a staghound after the hunt. We entered a new house and left it again without having found suitable habitation. Wanda was already somewhat out of humor. Suddenly she said to me, "'Severin, the seriousness with which you play your part is charming, but the restrictions we have placed upon each other are really annoying me. I can't stand it any longer. I do love you. I must kiss you. Let's go into one of the houses.' "'But, my lady,' I interposed, "'Gregor?' She entered the next open corridor and ascended a few steps of the dark stairway. She then threw her arms around me with a passionate tenderness and kissed me. "'Oh, Severin, you were very wise. You are much more dangerous as a slave than I would have imagined. You are positively irresistible, and I am afraid I shall have to fall in love with you again.' "'Don't you love me any longer, then?' I asked, seized with a sudden fright. She solemnly shook her head, but kissed me again with her swelling, adorable lips. We returned to the hotel. Wanda had luncheon and ordered me also quickly to get something to eat. Of course I wasn't served as quickly as she, and so it happened that just as I brought the second bite of my steak to my mouth, the waiter entered and called out with a theatrical gesture, "'Madame wants you at once!' I took rapid and painful leave of my food, and tired and hungry hurried toward Wanda, who was already on the street." "'I wouldn't have imagined you be so cruel,' I said reproachfully. "'With all these fatiguing duties, you don't even leave me time to eat in peace.' Wanda laughed gaily. "'I thought you had finished,' she said. "'But never mind. Man was born to suffer, and you in particular. The martyrs didn't have any beefsteaks, either.' I followed her resentfully, hunger gnawing at me. "'I have given up the idea of finding a place in the city.' Wanda continued, "'It will be difficult to find an entire floor which is shut off and where you can do as you please. In such a strange, mad relationship as ours, there must be no jarring note. I shall rent an entire villa, and you will be surprised. You have my permission now to satisfy your hunger and look about a bit in Florence. I won't be home till evening. If I need you, then, I will have you called.' I looked at the Duomo, the Palazzo Vecchio, the Logia de Lancy, and then I stood for a long time on the banks of the Arno. Again and again I let my eyes drift over magnificent ancient Florence. 
whose round cupolas and towers were drawn in soft lines against the blue, cloudless sky. I watched its splendid bridges beneath whose wide arches the lively waves of the beautiful yellow river ran, and the green hills which surrounded the city bearing slender cypresses and extensive buildings, palaces, and monarch stereos. It is a different world, this one we are in now, a gay, sensuous, smiling world. The landscape, too, has nothing of the seriousness and somberness of ours. It is a long ways off to the last white villas scattered among the pale green of the mountains, and yet there isn't a spot that isn't bright with sunlight. The people are less serious than we. Perhaps they think less, but they all look as though they were happy. It is also maintained that death is easier in the South. I have the vague feeling now that such a thing as beauty without thorns and love of the senses without torment does not exist. Wanda has discovered a delightful little villa and rented it for the winter. It is situated on a charming hill to the left bank of the Arno, opposite the Cascine. It is surrounded by an attractive garden with lovely paths, grass plots, and a magnificent meadow of camellias. It is only two stories high, quadrangular in the Italian fashion. An open gallery runs along one side, a sort of loggia with plaster casts of antique statues. Stone steps lead from it down into the garden. From the gallery one enters a bath with magnificent marble basin, from which winding stairs lead to my mistress's bedchamber. Wanda occupies the second story by herself. A room on the ground floor has been assigned to me. It is very attractive and even has a fireplace. I have roamed through the garden. On a round hillock I discovered a little temple but found its door locked. However, there's a chink in the door and when I glue my eye to it, I see the goddess of love on a white pedestal. A slight shudder passes over me. It seems as if she were smiling at me, saying, Are you there? I have been expecting you. It is evening. An attractive maid brings me orders to appear before my mistress. I ascend the wine marble stairs, pass through the anteroom, a large salon furnished with extravagant opulence, and knock at the door of the bedroom. I knock very softly, for the luxury displayed everywhere intimidates me. Consequently, no one hears me, and I stand for some time in front of the door. I feel as though I were standing before the bedroom of the great Catherine, and she might at any moment come out in her green sleeping furs with the red ribbon, decoration on her bare breast and with her white powdered curls. I knock again. Wanda impatiently pulls the door open. Why so late? she asks. I was standing in front of the door, but you didn't hear me knock, I replied timidly. She closes the door and, clinging to me, leads me to the red damask ottoman on which she had been resting. The entire arrangement of the room is in red damask, wallpaper, curtains, portiere hangings around the bed. A magnificent painting of Sanson and Delilah forms the ceiling. Wanda receives me in an intoxicating déshabillé. Her white satin dress flows gracefully and picturesquely down her slender body, leaving her arms and breast bare. Carelessly they nestle amidst the dark hair of the great fur sable-lined with grained velvet. Her red hair falls down her back to her hips, only half held by strings of black pearls. Venus in furs, I whisper, while she draws me to her breast and threatens to stifle me with her kisses. Then I no longer speak, and neither do I think. Everything is drowned out in an ocean of unimagined bliss. Do you still love me? she asks, her eyes softening in passionate tenderness. "'You ask?' I exclaim. "'You still remember your oath,' she continued with an alluring smile. 
Now that everything is prepared, everything is in readiness, I ask you once more, is it still your serious wish to become my slave? Am I not ready? I asked in surprise. You have not yet signed the papers. Papers? What papers? Oh, I see you want to give it up. Well, then, we'll let it go. But Wanda, I said, you know nothing gives me greater happiness than to serve you, to be your slave. I would give everything for the sake of feeding myself wholly in your power, even unto death. How beautiful you are, she whispered. When you speak so enthusiastically, so passionately, I am more in love with you than ever, and you want me to be dominant, stern, and cruel. I am afraid it will be impossible for me to be so. I am not afraid, I replied, smiling. Where are the papers? So that you may know what it means to be absolutely in my power, I have drafted a second agreement in which you declare that you have decided to kill yourself in a way... In that way, I can even kill you if I so desire. Give them to me. While I was unfolding the documents and reading them, Wanda got pen and ink. She sat down beside me with her arm around my neck and looked over her shoulder at the papers. The first one read, Agreement between Madame von Danaju and Severin von Kusiemeski. Severin von Kusiemeski ceases with the present day being the affianced of Madame Wanda von Donajou and renounces all the rights appertaining thereunto. He, on the contrary, binds himself on his word of honor as a man and nobleman that hereafter he will be her slave until such time that she sets him at liberty again. As the slave of Madame von Dunajou, he is to bear the name Gregor, and he is unconditionally to comply with every one of her wishes and to obey every one of her commands. He is always to be the submissive to his mistress and is to consider her every sign of favor as an extraordinary mercy. Madame von Dunajou is entitled not only to punish her slave as she deems best, even for the slightest inadvertence or fault, but also herewith given the right to torture him as the mood may seize her, or merely for the sake of whiling away the time. Should she so desire, she may kill him whenever she wishes. In short, he is her unrestricted property. Should Madame von Dunajou ever set her slave at liberty, Severin von Kusiemes. Kusiemeski agrees to forget everything he has experienced or suffered as her slave, and promises never under any circumstances and in no wise to think of vengeance or retaliation. Madame von Donajou on her behalf agrees as his mistress to appear as often impossible in her furs, especially when she purposes some cruelty toward her slave. Appended at the bottom of the agreement was the date of the present day. The second document contained only a few words. Having since many years become weary of existence and its illusions, I have, of my own free will, put an end to my worthless life. I was seized with a deep horror when I had finished. There was still time. I could still withdraw. But the madness of passion and the sight of the beautiful woman that lay all relaxed against my shoulder carried me away. This one you will have to copy, Severin, indicating the second document. It has to be entirely in your own handwriting. This, of course, isn't necessary in the case of the agreement. I quickly copied the few lines in which I designated myself a suicide and handed them to Wanda. She read them and put them on a table with a smile. 
Now have you the courage to sign it, she asked with a crafty smile, inclining her head. I took the pen. Let me sign first, she said Wanda. Your hand is trembling. Are you afraid of the happiness that is to be yours? She took the agreement in pen. While engaging in my internal struggle, I looked upward for a moment. It occurred to me that the painting on the ceiling, like many of those of the Italian and Dutch schools, was utterly unhistorical. But this very fact gave it a strange mood, which had an almost uncanny effect on me. Delilah, an opulent woman with flaming red hair, lay extended, half disrobed, in a dark fleur cloak upon a red ottoman, and bent smiling over Samson, who had been overthrown and bound by the Philistines. Her smile, in its mocking coquetry, was full of diabolical cruelty. Her eyes, half-closed, met Samson's, and his, with a last look of insane passion, clung to hers, for already one of his enemies was kneeling on his breast with the red-hot iron to bind him. "'Now,' said Wanda, "'why are you all lost in thought? What is the matter with you? Everything will remain just as it was, even after you have signed. Don't you know me yet, dear heart?' I looked at the agreement. Her name was written there in bold letters. I peered once more into her eyes with their potent magic. Then I took the pen and quickly signed the agreement. "'You are trembling,' said Wanda calmly. "'Shall I help you?' She gently took hold of my hand, and my name appeared at the bottom of the second paper. Wanda looked once more at the two documents, and then locked them in the desk that stood at the head of the ottoman. "'Now then, give me your passport and money.' I took out my wallet and handed it to her. She inspected it, nodded, and put it with the other things, while in a sweet drunkenness I kneeled before her, leaning my head against her breast. Suddenly she thrust me away with her foot, leaps up, and pulls the bell rope. In answer to its sound, three young, slender negresses enter. They are as if carved of ebony and are dressed from head to foot in red satin. Each one has a rope in her hand. Suddenly I realize my position and am about to rise. Wanda stands proudly erect, her cold, beautiful face with its somber brows, and contemptuous eyes is turned towards me. She stands before me as mistress, commanding, gives a sign with her hand, and before I really know what has happened to me, the negresses have dragged me to the ground and have tied me hand and foot. As in the case of one about to be executed, my arms are bound behind my back so that I can scarcely move. "'Give me the whip, Hady,' commands Wanda, with unearthly calm. The negress hands it to her mistress, kneeling. Now take off my heavy furs, she continues. They impede me. The negress obeyed. The jacket there, Wanda commanded. Haiti quickly brought her the Casabica set with ermine which lay on the bed, and Wanda slipped into it with two inimitably graceful movements. Now tie him to the pillar here. The negresses lifted me up and, twisting a heavy rope around my body, tied me standing to one of the massive pillars which supported the top of the wide Italian bed. Then they suddenly disappeared as if the earth had swallowed them. Wanda swiftly approached me. Her white satin dress flowed behind her in a long train, like silver, like moonlight. Her hair flared like flames against the white fur of her jacket. Now she stood in front of me with her left hand firmly planted on her hips, her right hand holding the whip. She uttered an abrupt laugh. "'Now play has to come to an end between us,' she said with heartless coldness. "'Now we will begin in dead earnest.' "'You fool! I laugh at you and despised you, "'you who in your insane infatuation "'had given yourself as a plaything to me, "'a frivolous and capricious woman.' 
You are no longer the man I love, but my slave. At my mercy, even unto life and death, you shall know me. First of all, you shall have a taste of the whip in all seriousness, without having done anything to deserve it, so you may understand what to expect if you are awkward, disobedient, or refractory. With a wild grace, she rolled back her fur-lined sleeves and struck me across the back. I winced, for the whip cut like a knife into my flesh. "'Well, how do you like that?' she exclaimed. I was silent. "'Just wait. You will yet whine like a dog beneath my whip,' she threatened, and simultaneously began to strike me again. The blows fell quickly in rapid succession, with terrific force, on my back, arms, and neck. I had to grit my teeth not to scream aloud. Now she struck me in the face, warm blood ran down, but she laughed and continued her blows. "'It is only now I understand you,' she said. "'It really is a joy to have someone so completely in one's power, and a man at that, who loves you. You do love me. No? Oh, I'll tear you to shreds yet, and with each blow my pressure will grow. Now twist like a worm, scream, whine, you will find no mercy in me.' Finally, she seemed tired. She tossed the whip aside, stretched out on the ottoman, and rang. The negresses entered. Untie him. As they loosened the rope, I fell to the floor like a lump of wood. The black women grinned, showing their white teeth. Untie the rope around his feet. They did it, but I was unable to rise. Come over here, Gregor. I approached the beautiful woman. Never did she seem more seductive to me than today, in spite of all her cruelty and contempt. One step further, Wanda commanded. Now kneel down and kiss my foot. She extended her foot beyond the hem of white satin, and I, the suprasensual fool, pressed my lips upon it. Now you won't lay eyes on me for an entire month, Gregor, she said seriously. I want to become a stranger to you, so you will more easily adjust yourself to our new relationship. In the meantime, you will work in the garden and await my orders. Now off with you, slave. A month has passed with monotonous regularity, heavy work, and melancholy hunger, hunger for her who is inflicting all these torments on me. I am under the gardener's orders. I help him lop the trees and prune the hedges, transplant flowers, turn over the flower beds, sweep the gravel paths. I share his coarse food and his hard cot. I rise and go to bed with the chickens. Now and then I hear that our mistress is amusing herself, surrounded by admirers. Once I heard her gay laughter even down here in the garden. I feel awfully stupid. It is the result of my present life, or was I so before? The month is drawing to a close. The day after tomorrow, what will she do with me now? Or has she forgotten me and left me to trim hedges and blind bouquets till my dying day? A written order. The slave Gregor is herewith ordered to my personal service. Wanda Dunajew. With a beating heart, I draw aside the damask curtain on the following morning and enter the bedroom of my divinity. It is still filled with a pleasant half-darkness. "'Is it you, Gregor?' she asks while I kneel before the fireplace building a fire. I tremble at the sound of the beloved voice. I cannot see herself. She is invisible behind the curtains of the four-poster bed. "'Yes, my mistress,' I reply. "'How late is it? Past nine o'clock?' breakfast. I hasten to get it and then kneel down with a tray beside her bread. Here is breakfast, my mistress. Wanda draws back the curtains, and curiously enough, at the first glance when I see her amongst the pillows, 
With loosened flowing hair, she seems an absolute stranger. A beautiful woman, but the beloved soft lines are gone. This face is hard and has an expression of weariness and satiety. Or is it simply that formerly my eye did not see this? She fixes her green eyes upon me more with curiosity than with menace, perhaps even somewhat pityingly, and lazingly pulls the dark sleeping fur on which she lies over her bare shoulder. At this moment she is very charming, very maddening, and I feel my blood rising to my head and heart. The tray in my hands begins to sway. She notices it and reaches out for the whip which is lying on the toilet table. "'You are awkward, slave,' she says, furrying her brow. I lower my gaze to the ground and hold the tray as steady as possible. She eats her breakfast, yawns, and stretches her opulent limbs in the magnificent furs. And that's it for this week. If you're enjoying this and you would like to see more of my content, you might consider joining my Facebook group. Um, the bonuses that come to the Patreon account also go into the Facebook group now and my Facebook membership group gets first dibs of everything that I do and quite a number of perks. The group itself is free. If you want to join the group, it is aptly named Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's membership group. If you go to facebook.com forward slash groups and then forward slash Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee and you will find it there. At the moment, I am having a membership drive. If I can make it to 100 group members in before the 30th of October, in time for Halloween, I'm doing an event, the Erotic Fireside Chat, and this event, which is normally 50 pounds a person, will be free for the group members if there are 100 members in the group. So now's the time to join because you will get an extra bonus. I look forward to seeing you all next week. Be safe and have a good one. Thanks for joining me on this erotic adventure. Join me again next week for more exciting erotica. Visit my websites, DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and DrLaurieBethBisbee.press for more information about what I'm doing and what services are available. Check out my weekly internet radio show, The A to Z of Sex, on the Health and Wellness Channel, VoiceAmerica.com, Thursdays at 11 a.m. PST, 2 p.m. EST, 7 p.m. BST, and that's a live show. If you've got suggestions for this show or authors you'd like to hear, email me at Beth at drlauriebethbisbee.press. Have a great week. Cause